You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Psalm 40. You can keep your Bibles open to this chapter. We're going to look at a few verses through this chapter, throughout the lesson tonight. And uh, if you were here last week, we, we were in the book of Psalms before. We, we uh, went through a lesson on Psalm 31. Uh, life is tough, but God is good. And, and this is a similar theme here in Psalm 40. And uh, Pastor mentioned he was, uh, he was going to be out and, and uh, asked me to speak tonight. This is one of the things I wanted to jump to, right back to the Psalms again and, uh, and back into this particular story. Knowing that we were going to be introducing a song that was newer to a lot of us tonight, I thought this is very fitting uh, that we have uh, a song like this to start off the service and a message like this that goes along with that same theme. And uh, the message tonight is, is a new song in my heart, new song in my heart. If you know much about music, especially gospel music, uh, there are many gospel songs, Christian songs. The vast majority of them have a definitive story behind the writing of the song. Uh, that's really one thing that in, in my life has really intrigued me. Uh, I've, I've been around a lot of great singers. I've heard a lot of great singers. But what really interests me uh, is not someone who just has talent, but, but the people behind the songs, the people who write the songs. Uh, I've told this story before, not to embarrass the, the Jones here, but Spencer Jones if, uh, over here, those of you who know him, his mom's visited here a few times. Before I ever met them, years ago, years ago, I mean, this is back, I mean, we're looking back almost 20 years now. I was, at a, I was uh, at a concert. My brother came in town. There was a gospel music concert a couple of hours away, and we were in Florida. We drove up, and we saw a couple groups sing and heard a group sing, and they sang a song, and uh, a song called I'm Blessed. Uh, so much more than I'll ever deserve. I mean, this group got up and sang this song, and I just fell in love with that song. That, I mean, I told my brother, I said, we're singing that. Me, you, my sister-in-law, we sang, my wife played. I said, we're singing that song. We went home, man. We got that on the, we put that on our radar. We started singing that. Years later, fast forward, the Jones come to our church, and we get to talking and come to find out his mom actually wrote that song. And, uh, and it was just a really cool story, a really cool opportunity to be able to sit back and just thank her for that song that has meant so much to me. I mean, it's been one of my favorite songs for a long time. And as you go through, especially Christian music, music, you find out so many songs that have stories written behind them. And that's exactly what the book of Psalms is for the Christian. David, Asaph, Solomon, all these different authors who wrote these Psalms were writing from a perspective of life experience. And they were writing from the perspective of things that God did in their lives. Uh, Years ago, back in the 50s, uh, there was a a man by the name of Stuart Hamblin. Some of you know that name. Stuart Hamblin was a singer, songwriter, actor, and uh, and he had written a lot of of old, old country songs. One of the songs he had written, I got a kick out of the title here, I Won't Go Hunting With You, Jake, But I'll Go Chasing Women. Uh, That was, (laughs) I actually pulled it up and listened to it. It was a pretty funny song. But anyway, not funny, not funny. Wicked, wicked, horrible. All right, anyway. But in 1949, Stuart Hamblin went and got invited to a, a Billy Graham crusade, heard the word of God preached, and after being in, under conviction for quite a while, finally surrendered his heart to the Lord, became a Christian. Went over to a, a, a neighbor's house, and, and uh, was, his neighbor had been gone for a while. His neighbor was a Hollywood actor. Been gone for a while. They were catching up with another with a, a group of people around. They were catching up, and he was catching him up on all the things that were going on while he was out of town. And uh, and 
he, uh, they were talking about different problems that friends of theirs had. And Stuart Hamblin made the statement. He said, you know, well, it's no secret what God can do. And that actor turned around and said, you know, that sounds like the title of a good song. Stuart Hamblin went home that night. He said, I sat down at 12 o'clock, started writing. 17 minutes later, I had the, the lyrics, all the lyrics and the music written. He said, the fastest I've ever written a song. He said, very simple song, but the fastest I'd ever written a song. He said, every time I'd written a song, it was about two or three hours at least. He said, it took me 17 minutes. Wrote that song, and he called his wife in. He said, it was 12. She came into the room, and he said, he said, I put the music in front of her, and she played it, and I sang it. And he said, she just wept. He said, I thought it was, must have been a really bad song. He said, but you know how women are. They, they, they cry when they're happy, and they cry when they're sad. And she mentioned how much of an impact that song had on her. That actor, just by way of relating the story, that actor who told him that would be a good song, that was no one else other than John Wayne. And, uh, and Stuart Hamblin wrote that song, It Is No Secret, wrote the song Until Then, some great old songs that, that many of us have heard for years if you've been in church very long. So these songs have great significance and great stories behind them. And Psalm 40 is no different here. If you look here at Psalm 40, look at what David's saying in verse number one. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Now, when was this psalm written? We don't know exactly. It's either when, when David was running from Saul, from King Saul, and he was hiding out in caves, running for his life from King Saul, or he was when, it, was, it was during the time frame when he was running from Absalom, and Absalom was trying to overthrow the kingdom. So we don't know exactly when it was written, but we, we know that it was written during one of those periods of time. And David says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Now, one of my big takeaways in this passage of Scripture is this, first and foremost, that David talking about a really, difficult time running for his life, talking about an era of his life where there was filled with all kinds of uh, uh, trouble and trauma, he's very, very focused on what, he's, on what he's trying to get across. His message is very definitive. You don't find a lot of doubt in here. Um, you know, if I'm writing this song, especially if I'm still in a cave, like I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord and I'm still waiting and I'm crying, and I, help me Jesus, you know, I mean, that would be my song. David is coming in here, and he's saying, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined, and he heard my cry. He's very convinced, and very convincing. He writes it with a lot of conviction, David does, about this message, and you go back to, you know, you kind of think through this here for a minute. How can David write this with such conviction? You know, how can he write with such understanding, knowing that God was going to deliver him. Well, I think it's very simple. David had been through a lot of stuff. God had helped him in a lot of ways. He had answered many prayers. I think that's really, this is all of us on a side note, but I think that's the great sin of us as Christians. Uh, this, is, this is a great sin of mine is forgetting what God's done for you. Forgetting answers to prayer. I mean, I can tell you stories. I mean, not even, I don't even make them up. They're real stories that stuff I prayed for. And God answered that prayer. I can give you some personal stories, but what happens so often is when, when trouble does come, unexpectedly especially, uh, I begin to doubt. You know, I was the guy, you know, especially in my younger years, very critical of Thomas, you know, doubting Thomas. I mean, come on, with all the stuff that you saw and all the things that you observed with your own eyes and you watched all of these miracles and all the things that you saw and you still doubted. 
But so often, that's me. You know, I, I, I'm so much relate to that. We forget in our human nature, we often forget. Or we get in our mind, we start to doubt, would, would God do it again? He answered prayer before, yes, but, but will he do it again? And I think this is a great testimony to David, but the fact that he's writing this from a position of God delivered me before and I know he's going to do it again. So David remembered how God had delivered him. What was the reason for David's conviction? Well, Dave, he knew, he knew that God heard him. Look at verse one again. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. The expression here in the Hebrew, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Hebrew actually suggests I waited and waited and waited. The, the literal rendering of that waited right there in Psalm 40 is literally waiting. I continue to wait. Waiting, I waited. And he's saying this over and over. The Greek uh, definition uh, uh, speaks of this. I'm sorry, the, the definition speaks of this. The tension of enduring and waiting. The tension of enduring and waiting in the Hebrew. Another definition means to bind oneself to. In this case, David bound himself to God because he knew that you know, literally there's no other place to go. He had so many troubles in his life. He had so many things going on. His life is in danger. He had nowhere else to go but literally bind himself to Jesus and the hope that he had in, in, in God. One of our great sins is forgetting what God has done for us. When life turns against us, so many of us eventually give up and we go on our way looking for answers someplace else. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're like me, often in our impatience, we feel like we can't wait any longer. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, the world's kind of crazy right now. I don't know if you've been watching much or paying attention much, but the world has gotten crazy, especially it seems like in the last few years, it just continually gets worse and worse. And if you're like me, I mean, sometimes in prayer, I'm like, God, it can't get any worse. Like, you have to come now. Look, it, it is getting too wicked. It is getting too dark. I mean, if those of you who have kids, you understand this. I mean, thinking I'm raising kids in a world like this, uh, is this is this the right thing for us? And of course, we know we know that it is. You know, God is in control of all things. He's in control of our times. But often we get impatient. We get impatient. And we pray, Lord, it's too dark. I mean, you you have to come. And I think often God's probably sitting back there smiling, maybe chuckling a little bit at us. When I was a kid, and this is man, this is going back. This is about 30 years ago. Uh, I was a teenager, and we, uh, we were there in, in Louisiana, and I would go out with our youth pastor. And he, you know, it's youth pastors, man, they're nuts. I mean, something's wrong with youth pastors. When you sign up to hang out with teenagers all the time, you know something's not wired right. And so our youth pastor was one of those guys. We would go, if my mom never knew what he did, man, she would shoot him and probably me both. But we would go, he would have me come. He said, let's go visit him. We'd have teenagers visit the church or kids sign up and we'd go visit them. Well, this is back 30 years ago. So when you get out just outside of Baton Rouge, you get around Denham Springs and Walker. If you know much of Louisiana, it's kind of more grown up now. But back in the day, man, there was nothing there. I mean, it's just nothing but country roads, you know, take me home to the place. Anyway. But, I mean, it's just nothing but just dirt roads and country and sticks and all that. Well, my youth pastor, I mean, he grew up there. I mean, he's a Cajun. He grew up down there. He knew all these back roads and everything. We would go driving, and, I mean, this was not just once in a while. This was pretty much an every week thing. I, I almost, you know, I, I, I had a lot of anxiety from this. We would take off on these country roads. There's no lights. It's, not, it's dirt roads in the middle of the woods. I mean, he'd be driving and he'd get going fast. I mean, he's like going 50, 50 miles, 55 miles an hour driving these dirt roads. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, watch this. Flip the lights off. 
It is pitch black. It's not like up on the mountains when you see all the stars and the moon and stuff. No, I mean, this is down here in the middle of the woods. It is pitch black. And I'm like, I don't want to die, man. I'm like, you live life. I have not. Like, turn the lights on. Cut it out. I mean, he would freak me out. And he would do it on purpose. He did that every week. Stress me out, man. I don't visit people just for that reason anymore. Because I was, I, was, I was destroyed by that. I mean, he would, it would pitch black. And I'd turn, turn the lights on. Cut it out. And he would laugh. And he would laugh. Often I think that's kind of how we are with God. It's a silly illustration. I think often when this world is getting more wicked, and getting more vile, more evil, and often as Christians we come back and say, God, you've got to fix something. God, something's got to change. And I just wonder how many times God sits back and kind of chuckles and says, well, you know, in my time. In my time. Because, of course, we know that God's in control. God's in control of the days. He understands the times. He has a plan. And often we sit back and think we want to hurry God along, but he takes his time and he works on his own schedule. Our impatience, our impatience is probably what makes God smile, knowing that his time is perfect. When I was a kid, we, uh, we would go to, we'd go to Texas for, for Christmas. My, my mom and dad are from Wichita Falls, Texas. That's where I grew up. When I was little, we moved to Louisiana. So every year... At Christmas and in the summer, we would pack up. And what was our vacation? Hanging out with family. Fun vacation. There ain't nothing in Wichita Falls, Texas, y'all. I mean, the Rangers are not far from there. But other than that, I mean, there's not a whole lot to do. We would drive up there. And so summertime was difficult, but Christmas was great because you're getting presents. So we had a tradition. We would go to my, my dad's family. We would go with all, see all of them on Christmas Eve. And we all got together. And as kids, I mean, we, got, we had a blast. I mean, we were there all day on Christmas Eve playing with our cousins, just having a wonderful time, having a blast. Well, then as we got closer to the evening, of course, we were all amped up. We were ready. We opened presents with my dad's family on Christmas Eve. That was tradition. We did it every year. And so we've been playing. We've been doing all the fun things that there are to do. Well, then it would get dark and we would all come inside. And then, you know, it became a game. We learned if we if we went to my grandmother and we went to her, we called her granny, said, Granny, can we open presents? Her answer was always, Up, oh, I'm gonna add another hour. So that was the worst thing. Like you do not ask. So I mean that was I mean, we we had, you know, we had meetings about this, we had training, we did some waterboarding just to make sure people understood. You don't ask. All right, we do not ask if we are opening presents. Why? Because granny's adding another hour. She literally added an hour. We were too dumb to pay attention. It felt like it, but it's probably like another 10 minutes. So then our parents, they were ruthless, man. They're getting like the young kids who don't know any better, and they're talking them into, hey, go ask if we can open presents. We would hear our cousins, our little cousins, and I mean, we're like, no, we're trying to stop them, and Granny's always, one more hour. And we're just, it was torture, waiting to open presents. Finally, that time would come and we could. But, you know, it was, we learned this. And, and she would tell us, she's like, well, on, on my time, on my time, God in his time is not playing a game with us. But the point is this, God has a time frame. And many of us, the Bible tells us to pray for his coming and we're to seek his coming. But if we're just completely wrapped up in fear, waiting on God to come and begging for him to come while we still have work to do, we're missing out on the point. We're missing out on great blessings. We're missing out on opportunity here. Often we're sitting back saying, how about now? Can we now? This world is really bad. I don't want to stay here anymore, Lord. I mean, fix all of this for us. Take all of it away. Come back. And we get so distracted by the enjoyment we can have in the moment we can have of serving him. 
David's saying, the Lord heard me. Look at verse number two now. Then he says, he brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. What a powerful verse there. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. With this verse, it's just a way I envision it. And I blame it on my childhood here, but I envision David talking about here being in a horrible pit. I envision it, David, being in quicksand. How many of you else have been traumatized? How many of you have been traumatized about quicksand? I've been scared of quicksand all my life. Why? Because every TV show, man, every Western, somebody's going down in quicksand. Lone Ranger, all these people, somebody's dying. Swiss Family Robinson, they got a, deer, they got a zebra, they're trying to get out. I mean, everything you watched as a kid, I'm just, I'm worried, I'm dying from either a hurricane, a tornado, or quicksand. You know, one of those I've never seen, but I just knew it was going to come. And you always had to be watching out for any kind of mud or anything because you don't, you never know. When I was a kid, we, were, we, had, we, we lived in a house, had some woods behind us. And so we would go out as kids and we'd go play in the woods. And, and uh, you went back probably about 50 yards or so into the woods. And there was a, uh, it was a small canal or, or like a big ditch. And uh, we would jump over it, cross over it and all that. Well, one time, I was probably eight or nine years old, we were out there playing. And it had been raining a lot. You know, it was really, really muddy and wet out there. And we were crossing over the canal. And so I, I'm coming up the wall of, the, of the, that big ditch there, and I'm coming up, and I stepped in this mud. And I did not realize how loose and how muddy it was. I mean, I stepped in it, and I mean, I'm in mud all the way up to my hip. I stepped, and I just kept going in. And I'm yelling, quicksand, it's quicksand, somebody help, you know. And I couldn't get my leg out. I'm freaking out, thinking, this is it. I'm dying right here. I've seen it on TV. And uh, you know, we all knew that this was going to be the end. I'm going to die this way. I had an irrational fear, but David was talking about a very real situation. He mentions it as a horrible pit, as miry clay. It's a metaphor for what he's experiencing in his life. David's mudslide was a, was a moral one. But yet, he says, even through his problems and through a lot of the things that he even brought upon himself, he says, God heard me and God helped me. I mean, David had conviction in his psalm because he'd experienced God's help. And we can't spend a lot of time on that tonight because we're getting somewhere else. But what a great truth here, man. David did not forget the things that God had done for him and the places that he had been delivered from. Then verse number three, David says this, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. God gave David a new song. And and in verse three, David's referring to the testimony of his deliverance. After his deliverance, God hearing him, God pulling David out of this horrible pit, David couldn't help but smile and tell others about what God had done in his life. You know, isn't it funny? I mean, this may not be you, but this is me. I mean, do we not talk more about our problems than we do our blessings? You know, I mean, I think, again, it's a human nature thing. But how sad is it that we, we talk more about the issues and problems we have going on much more than we do the answers to prayer or blessings that God has given us that we don't even ask for? And yet David comes in at the time and he says, God delivered me some horrible things. He pulled me out of a horrible pit. Some bad things were happening. God delivered me. He's put a new song in my mouth. And this new song called, caused David to be a living testimony. Look at the end of that verse there. Even praise unto our God. To what end? Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Then look at verse 4. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. That's what salvation is all about. It's not a matter of trusting a church, trusting a creed. It's all about trusting Christ. And David 
message here is this. He's like, I've been, I've been through some horrible things. A lot of it was self-inflicted. I've been through some heavy battles, some horrible traumatic experiences, but God delivered me. And because God delivered me, man, he put a new song in my mouth. I've got something to sing about. I've got something to write. I've got something to tell people. And this new song he's given me is now a testimony. I'm going to tell people about it. Many shall see it. Many shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. And blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. When was the last time you spoke to someone about God's mercy and his grace? When was the last time you shared God's goodness with someone else? Seven times in the Old Testament, seven times God tells us, sing a new song. He's put a new song in my mouth. Seven times. Twice in the book of Revelation, we see God talking about things that are to come. And he says, and they will sing a new song. We're going to hear new songs even at the end end times in the book of Revelation when we're all standing before the Lord. And why are we singing these new songs? Because he is worthy. So there's a heavy, heavy emphasis in Scripture. I was always taught, man, if God says it one time, he means it. If he says it more than once, he really means it. He says it more than twice. He really, really means it. If the Lord is telling us he wants us to put a new song in our mouth, then we ought to be be willing to sing some new songs, not for just the purpose of singing something new, but for the purpose of understanding that God is still working. God is still moving. And in the heart of David, he's telling him, I've given you a new song. When God delivers us like he did David, he entrusts with us the privilege now of telling others why we possess a new song. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean that when God gives you a blessing, you got to sit down and write a song. If you're like me, man, you have a hard time rhyming anything together. So uh, many of us, we're not songwriters per se. So doesn't, he's not talking literally here of having to write a new song. David did. That was his testimony. But the point is this. As God delivers us, as God does things for us, it's incumbent on us to share the, share the blessings with others and to tell others what the Lord has done for us. We had the opportunity a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Miller and I, to sit with a young man and tell him of some things that God has done for us in our lives. He was dealing with some issues and problems in his life, and it turned out in God's sovereignty and his wisdom, the issues that this young man was having are some things that I've had to deal with and pastors had to deal with, and we were able to sit there and give personal testimony of things that God has done in our lives, same issues that he's dealing with. And shortly after that, this young man trusted Christ. He got saved right there. Part of it was because he heard the testimony of someone about what God has done in their lives. When God delivers us, he gives us the privilege of telling others about why we possess a new song. Then look at this in verse number six. The goodness of God led David here. Watch this. Verse number six, David gets down here talking about sacrifice. Sacrifice and offering. Thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou, hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Now, if you know much about Old Testament, you know sacrifices were a big deal. You know, these, these, these offerings were paramount. They were, they were a big deal to the life of the Old Testament uh, uh, people of Israel. This was a part of their culture. It was a part of their law given by God. Now, David says this here. He says, look, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Now, pause there for a second. Think about this. Remember the story of Saul. If you go back to 1 Samuel 15, remember Saul. Saul has been, has been told by God. 
conquer the Amalekites, to conquer them, uh, to utterly destroy them. Men, women, children, cattle, everything that's alive is to be utterly destroyed. And God had his purposes and his reasons for that. And as you study these Old Testament Canaanite groups, you begin to understand how wicked and vile they really were and why God had made this declaration. And so God says everything is to be destroyed. So what does Saul do? Kills almost everything. King Agag, he keeps him alive. And then Saul allows everyone, allows the people to have the spoils of what they've conquered, the cattle and, and uh, uh, the sheep and all of those, uh, all that livestock that was premium. They, Saul allowed them to not slaughter them, but to keep them. And so Samuel shows up and, of course, we know the story. Samuel comes around and says, Saul, what's, the bleeding, what's this bleeding of the sheep I hear? What am you're supposed to destroy everything. And Saul begins to make the excuses. Oh, you know, I mean, how dumb an excuse is this? I was going to sacrifice it to God. You know, I mean, how pitiful an excuse is that? Samuel says, wait a second. No, 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 no. God told you to destroy everything. And then Saul blames it on everybody else. Well, it's the people. They, they, they took all the spoils and everything. And they, they all kind of did all this, you know. And he begins to shift blame. And we understand that very famous passage of Scripture from Samuel. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. And he gives a harsh lesson to Saul. Saul, you're going to lose the kingdom. It's over. You've made too many mistakes. Too many times you've denied and defied God's word. You've been disobedient too many times. And of course, you see, that's the downturn from the life of Saul. And you look at that in verse number six again. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine, mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. It reminds us of that same, uh, that same teaching, that same lesson, that obedience to obey is better than sacrifice. Samuel told Saul, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. We see here the importance of obedience. But look back there again at verse number six. Look again at what David teaches us from verse number six about ritualism in his journey with God. Look at verse number six, sacrifice. That word sacrifice, the Hebrew, comes from the Hebrew word zebach. That means a communion type of sacrifice. He says sacrifice and offering. Offering there is from the Hebrew word mencho, which is referring to the meal offering. That's related to man's work and emphasizes there's no line that should be drawn between the secular and the holy. That there should be a completeness in our life and our relationship with God all the time. It puts the emphasis on the holy life of Christ. He said that sacrifice and that offering, David's realizing this. He said, God, you didn't require that. You didn't desire that. He said, mine ears hast thou opened. Then he goes to burnt offering. Burnt offering, the Hebrew word olah, that's depicting the life of Christ and his holiness being offered up to God for us. And the sin offering... Chata spoke of the sacrifices that dealt with the practices of sin. He says, the burnt offering and sin offering you haven't required. He said, you know, these offerings, you didn't desire them. You didn't require them. Now, remember, offerings are a big deal. Sacrifices are a big deal to God. They were a big deal in the life of the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament Israelite here who's following the plan of God. David saw that even though the rituals and the sacrifices, they spoke of this coming Christ... David realized even through all of this, they were insufficient and they were inadequate. We know that even worse, these rituals can be abused, causing someone to believe that they were holy because they participated in rituals. Now, when you look at this in the context of David and his life, 
a man who was the king of Israel, who believed in uh, uh, the Old Testament prophets, who wanted to follow the plan of God, who believed it was right for him to practice these sacrifices, and he did, as he went through a difficult, horrible in his life that God delivered him from. He sat back and on the other end of it and said, you know what, God gave me a new song. I'm singing praise to the Lord. And you know what I learned? Those sacrifices that we have to do, the ritualistic things that we do over and over again, really doesn't mean anything really to God. It's a picture of what's coming with Christ, but God didn't really desire that and didn't require that. We have the same type of thing in church today. There are some that believe literally that if you, if you, if you take communion or if you be baptized, that that's going to get you into heaven. That's going to give you eternal life. That's going to make you holy and righteous before God by following these ritualistic practices. Take it a step further. Many of us as Christians who may even, we know the Lord and we've, we've trusted Christ and we don't believe like that, but many of us, we get caught up in this idea that we have to follow the list and follow the rituals to be more right with God. And if I'm doing all the ritualistic things I'm used to doing that we've always done, then that makes me holier than these other people who don't want to do these ritualistic things. And if we don't follow the rituals, then you must be wicked. You must be unholy. And we get so caught up in the processes and the practices, and David's stepping back saying, look, I'm realizing these big deal sacrifices, really, in the grand scheme of all of this, is not a big deal. What did David learn? God doesn't want the rituals. God wants me. God doesn't want all the sacrifices. He wants relationship with me. He steps back and he says, look, I went through verse 1 and verse 6 and the miry clay and the horrible pit and all kinds of bad stuff going on, hiding out in caves, and what happened? God delivered me. And I got close to him. He gave me a new song. And you know what? We didn't sacrifice nothing. We didn't offer up any offerings for anything. God blessed me through that. Look at verse number six. He makes that statement there. He said, mine ears hast thou opened. That word open translated from the, from the Hebrew literally means to open by digging. It's used in Old Testament references about digging wells and digging Tombs, that same phrase is used. David's saying that God had, to, God had to open my ears. God had to dig in. He had to bore through my thick skull into my ears before he could get his word to penetrate my soul. David understood, verse number six there, that these Old Testament rituals and sacrifices, they had value, but it was only symbolic. It was only symbolic value. They simply pointed to Calvary. And even once that was understood, they were still of little value unless Calvary transformed the life of the one of obedience. Last point here will be done for tonight. Verse number eight. So you see the transition now. So David has been, he said, God heard me and he God, God helped me. And then he goes through this new song transition in his life. And he's, he's coming along saying that God doesn't want just me to follow a ritualistic plan. You know, God wants me. He wants a relationship with me. And God stripped away all, these, all of these rituals so that he could, he could have a relationship with me. In verse number eight, what's the result of all of this? God helping David. God using these trials to bring David closer to him. David being a testimony and a witness and seeing lives change because of his story. What, is, what do we see from David? Verse number eight, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. That last phrase there, thy law is within my heart, is very reminiscent of the passage of Scripture in Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after these days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me 
a people. David's trust in, in God through his trials gave him a chance to see God deliver on God's promises. Gave David a new song. He began to tell others about his God and lives were changed. This led David to desire a real relationship with God, not just a ritualistic living, a real true relationship with God. And that caused David to seek truth in verse number eight and to do God's will. He says, I delight to do thy will. Not if, but when, when each one of us and our families go through trials and go through problems, the one thing that we can guarantee is that God wants to use this to draw me closer to him. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It wasn't easy in David's life. We talked about that last week. David went through some stuff that probably nobody in this room has ever experienced, at least not to that degree. And yet David could step back and by the time Psalm 40 is written, he's able to say, I went through some stuff. It got really bad, but God delivered me. And he gave me a new song, and I became a testament. I started telling people about what God did for me. And you know what? Lives were changed. And I figured out, and I found out that all the things that we did, God didn't care about. He just wanted me. All the stuff and the rituals that we did, God wasn't concerned about. He wanted to hear my new song, that new song that was written from a new experience, from the same old God that we've had all of these days. And then at the end of the story, David says, I want to be closer to God. I want to do God's will. Now, in my flesh, I think if I lived through the things that David went through, I would get on the other side of that and probably in my fleshly manner would say, God, I'm done. I'm out. I quit. I don't want to go through any more stuff to get closer to you. But David, I mean, this is why he's a man after God's own heart. He used those and allowed those opportunities to help him draw closer to the Lord to get to verse 8. He said, I delight, man. That's my plan. That's my goal is to do God's will. Yea, the law, thy law is within mine heart. May that be true of us as Christians today. When we go through difficulties, when we go through trials and problems, that we step back and say, you know what? Even through all the problems, when God delivered me, I even more so want to do his will. I even more so want to be close to him. I even more so want his law in my heart and to be a testimony of the goodness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. I pray that you would bless us now as we take a few minutes in prayer this evening. Lord, I pray that you would help each person here tonight. All of us, Lord, have understand the, uh, the importance of a walk with you. But Lord, often, sometimes, so many times we, uh, we fail in our, in our relationship with you. Lord, so many times we often doubt and we get discouraged and we get discouraged at our culture or at the problems that come into our lives, failing to, to understand that you have a greater purpose in mind. And your greatest purpose is to draw us closer to you, to help us to become more like you. I pray that you would bless now each one of us tonight. Help us in times of difficulty and in trials and troubles, Lord, that we would see them as an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to be strengthened, an opportunity to go through the fire, to be, uh, to be polished for the finer use for you. And I pray that you'd bless us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, if you would, very quickly take your, 